You know, we are made for worship, whether we know it or not. And there is, um, there is a special place in our life that until we get into that mode of worship, we're just not content. Um, I taught the teen class this morning. We talked about God. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? We talked about God in church. We talked about how big God is, but yet how near how God is. How far God is away, but yet how close God is. And, you know, I was really impressed with the teens' recollections and the things that they came up with because they recognized how important it is that we have a God bigger than ourselves. If I could fully understand God, he wouldn't be very big. I'll tell you that right now. If I could fully get my arms around who this God is, uh, he would not be able to meet your needs. But because God is so big and because he's so awesome... And because he's so far away, but yet he's so near, all of my needs are met. And there comes a place for me that when I come to that place of worship, now I am made for that. There is a place that's built inside of my heart that only God can fill. And you've heard that before. I didn't make that up. But it is so true. When I find that place of God's presence in my life, 
Yes, I have a fear and a reverence of God. But with that comes that closeness of God, that spiritual bond that he gives me. There's nothing in this world that can compete with that. Nothing. Though I might find temporary satisfaction here and there, money may, might make me smile a little bit. I might have some happiness when my bills are paid and I have the luxuries of things. But when those are gone, what am I left with? An emptiness. It's just not there. But when the presence of the Lord is what I focus on, it's amazing how he always, always brings me contentment. And I want to continue speaking this morning on that topic, on the Holy Spirit. We've been speaking about the Holy Spirit the last number of weeks, and we're going to continue to speak about the Holy Spirit for the next few weeks because it is such a big, he is such a big topic, and he is such a big person of the Godhead that we have a lot to talk about. We've spoken in the past about the Holy Spirit is the person, is a person of God. It is not, he is not an it. It is not something that we get. It is something that we experience. Like I experience relationship with you, I experience relationship with the Holy Spirit because he's a person. Just like Jesus is a person, just like God is a person, the Holy Spirit is a person of God. We talked about the, how the early church, the experience of the Holy Spirit in the early church was so different than I think than what it is in our churches today. The early church's experience with the Holy Spirit was so real and so immediate and so intentional. I think we have a little different feel today, though I think the Holy Spirit would like us to have that early church experience. We talked about the extreme teachings of the Holy Spirit that would fear that, some that would fear it, and some would say it's not for today, and then others would say that unless you have the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, you're not saved, and we talked about how the balance we need to have. We talked about the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Today I want to continue to talk about, beginning talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But here's my heart on the matter. Can I just share my heart on why we're even talking about this in the first place? My heart is that I would have every person, every person in this church, or every person that I come in contact with that is a Christian person, to be so on fire for Jesus that they would be so full of the power of the Holy Spirit and they would be able to flow daily in His gifts, daily in His presence, that they, the Holy Spirit would just be able to be in their life so that we can fight the good fight, that we can be victorious in this life, that we don't have to be on that roller coaster of up and down and good days, bad days, but yet we can be so engaged and so powerfully filled, inspired, baptized, overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I would have everyone to be, including myself. So I feel led in this, in this, as we, to lead this congregation in a teaching and, in, and encouraging to make, so, so that every person would make themselves open and available to be led by the Holy Spirit in everything that he has for you and I. That we're not limiting him by our preconceived notions, we're not limiting him by fear. We're not limiting him by what the devil would want to talk to us about him with or about. But yet we are living and we are, we are inviting the Holy Spirit to be everything to us. And this is not an appeal to the emotional nature of ministry. This is not a manipulation of a person or to feel or to experience God in a certain way. That's not what I'm trying to talk about. But I'm really trying to create a true hunger, a true desire in the heart of every believer 
based upon what Scripture has to teach us about, about what the Holy Spirit is, about who He is, about how He works in our lives. I understand that the enemy of our soul is real. The devil is very real. He's very much present in our daily lives, and he's very intentional in destroying you and everything godly in you. I understand that. Therefore, we can never let our guard down or assume that once we're on the right road of salvation that we don't need any more help. I I think that maybe there are those that would tell God, God, I'm saved. Hey, I'm good now, God. I'm good. I've got it. I've accepted your son. I have his payment for my sin. So I'm okay. I've got it from here on out, God. I can handle this on my own. I don't need much more. I'll read your word every once in a while. Yeah, and I'll even come to church every once in a while. And I'll, I'll, I'll sit in church and, and I'll do the things. And I'll read your word and use it as a good guideline. But God, I'm gonna, I'll pick out what I want. I'll pick out what, I'll, what I choose that makes my life better, but some of the other things I'm not so sure about, God. I, I, I'll just buy into the things that I can agree with. And, and however, you know, and then in addition to that, God, I've got some of my own ideas. Now that I'm saved, I, I'm gonna, I've got my own figured, I'm going to figure out my own way to live out my Christian life. I've got some of the things I want to do, the way I want to do it. And God, I, I'm going to trust you're okay with it. I'm just going to trust you're going to be okay with the way I choose to live my life. I think many times we go through life that way. God, we're so busy. I'll give you what I've got left over. If I'm feeling good, I'll come to church. If I'm feeling good, I'll come Wednesday night. If I'm feeling good, I'll get up and pray, my, my, I'll pray this morning. I'll read my Bible. But God, you know, I'm really tired, God. You know how busy I am. You, you know that I have a busy life. And God, I'm sure you understand my busyness. You know, I think that so many times we come to God that way on our terms thinking that, God, I, I thank you for salvation. I thank you for where you've led me, but now I can handle it, God. I, I don't need you to keep, continue to be so much in my life. I don't need to be emotional about you. I don't need to be tied into some of these things. Am I speaking to anybody besides myself here? Because that's the way I felt many times in my life. I'll be honest with you, all right? But what I would rather have, what I'd rather have for my life, and what, but what I'd rather have for all your lives is, is to have the, the heart cry of a person that once we've accepted the forgiving power of God's grace through the shed blood of Christ and his ultimate sacrifice, that I would rather have my, my line of thinking go something like this. Hey, God, thank you so much for saving me. Thank you so much for giving heaven's best for me. And because you've given heaven's best for me, I'm going to give you my best back. I know that you have other things for me in store, and I need them. I want them. I want all of you, God. I'm not happy with just a little bit. Yeah, I'm saved, but I need you to keep me saved. I need your Holy Spirit's power in me and your influence in me to walk with me and to lead me on a daily basis. My heart's cry is more of you. I can't get enough of you, God. I just can't get enough of your presence. I need you. So would you send me all that you have? You've promised things to me. You've promised the relationship with the Holy Spirit. You've promised to baptize me. You've promised to indwell me. You've promised to fill me. You've promised to give me good gifts. I want them. I want all that you have. Now, if I could come to God that way, what do you think God's response to me would be? 
Do you think he would say, no, 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 not now. I've got other things to do. I've got some other things over here to deal with. I'll get to you later. I think that if I came to God that way, I think that heaven's windows would open up and all of heaven would fall on me. Like we prayed, like we sang about today, sweet fire. That sweet wind of heaven would flow. Flow. And I would be engulfed in it. And all the stuff in my life that he doesn't like would be burned up because I've made the reach out to him. Yes, he's provided it all, but yet he's waiting for me to reach out and say, take it. So my prayer that I pray for you and for myself this morning would be kind of like the prayer in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 9 through 11. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. There's so much to that, few, those couple verses. I would encourage you to go back and really dig into those. Dig into those verses and see what they really mean. You're really asking a lot there. You're really giving yourself a lot of God's grace when you really read this and pursue it. If we can truly and honestly pray this prayer and mean it, then seeking God and asking him to send everything he has for us, by that we're not limiting God anymore. We're not telling God what he should look like. We're not telling him how we should react to him. We're not, we're not, telling, we're not putting boundaries on God at that point. What we're doing is we're, we're opening up the boundaries of our life, and we're saying, God, come in and do everything that you need to do within me. Take all my preconceived ideas about who you are and about what you are and about how I'm supposed to act when you come into my life and just destroy those, and now just come in and be God in my life. Holy Spirit, invade me. I don't need to tell God what he's supposed to look like and how I'm supposed to respond to it anymore. See, how can I dictate to God? If I say, God, fill me up, how can I then dictate to God what that's supposed to look like? But yet, don't we often do that? Don't we say, welcome Holy Spirit, and then all of a sudden put bounds on how I'm supposed to act when he hits me? Again, I'm not looking for the emotional appeal. I'm looking for the honesty. I'm looking for the truth. I'm looking for the integrity of a man that stands before God someday and even, even today, even in the presence of the Holy Spirit, knowing that when the Holy Spirit touches me, how can I be the same? How can I handle? How can I touch? How can I hold that mighty power of the Holy Spirit? When the Holy Spirit touches you, you will not be the same person. You will not be the same person you were before he touched you. If you are, then he hasn't touched you. If you're the same walking out of this service this morning as you were when you came in, then you did not have an encounter with the Holy Spirit because he is a change agent. And he will use you. And he will make you into something that you never thought you could be. 
The creator of the universe is not contained within any human vessel without changing that human vessel to be something that he can fill. He will change you. He will make you into something you're not. And it's not what you are on the outside. He may not change your physical appearance, but he's certainly going to change your heart. He's going to change that, that, that container that only the spirit deals with. Remember, God is spirit. We worship God in spirit. We don't worship God in our physical flesh. We worship, we worship God in spirit because he's spirit. And when he comes in, he is going to fill the spirit life inside of me. We've spoken in the past about the day of Pentecost. And I want to talk about that again today. We're going to talk about the 120 that were baptized that day on that powerful day. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. There's a few things I want to point out here. First of all, um, what happened in that day was inclusive to all the people that were present. There were 120 or so present in that day. And it said that all of them began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's interesting that there were more than 12 men there. It wasn't just the 12 disciples. See, the 12 disciples, we know them. We know that they were saved. We know that because we look back in John chapter 20, verse 22, where Jesus said, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. At that point in time, those 12 men were saved and they were set apart. That was, they were the first true converts in the New Testament sense of salvation because Jesus saved them at that moment in time. And so we see that. But you know what's so important is that in that upper room experience that day, that the Holy Spirit poured out on 10 times 12 people. There were 120 people there, not just the 12 people. And I think that number is significant because what that, seems to, what that seems to mean to me is that the Holy Spirit came not just for Jesus' closest followers, but he came for all people. All people are able to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All people are able to uh, fill and be filled to the fullness of what the Holy Spirit has, not just the few, not just the few picked out ones that God has chosen, but all of us are able to do that. More than 800 years before Christ was born, the prophet Joel prophesied this. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. His promise is for all people, not just a chosen few. No one is excluded for the offer of receiving the Holy Spirit's power through salvation and in the power of baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's for all people. Peter then went and said it again in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Peter replied, he said, repent and be baptized. This is after he had preached a big message. 3,000 people came to him. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
very clear. We can't say it any more specifically and clearly that the promise, the experience, what they experienced on the day of Pentecost is for all people today. It didn't stop then. It's not just for a select few. It's for all of us. So I'm praying now that it's becoming obvious to all of us that the promise of the Holy Spirit is still for today. It's still in effect. God's promise is for every believer who would obediently submit to God's will. Obediently submit are the key words so that we then can have the full benefit of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't fill us if we're conditional towards him. It's an obedient submission to him. Going back to that first day of the outpouring, in verse says in verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They spoke in other tongues. They spoke in a language they didn't know as the Holy Spirit enabled them. Now, what does that mean? What does that really mean? It means, very simply, that as the people spoke, they used their own vocal cords, they used their own breath. It was that person speaking but what came out of their mouth were words that they didn't understand or words that they didn't know how to speak. It's really simple. They didn't go in some, into some catonic state. They did not pass out and they were not zombies. No, they were real people speaking like they would normally speak in their normal voice and they were speaking words that they didn't know. So what's the purpose of this new language? God uses language as a proof that something internally happened to them. He used the language as a proof that something changed within them. Like we said earlier, when the Holy Spirit touches you, you will not be the same. You cannot be the same by definition, or the Holy Spirit hasn't touched you. The language, what came out of, the per, what came out of their mouths were proof that something happened to them internally. Now, I've heard some interesting explanations that I think can be very, very well be true as to why language was used as a proof of the Holy Spirit's baptism, baptism in a man. Why did God choose language as proof that something happened internally? Well, let's think about that for a minute. The tongue, think about this, the tongue, or what a person speaks, what comes out of your mouth is one of the hardest things for the person to control. Anybody say amen? That little thing, that little organ in your mouth called the tongue, that thing is the hardest thing for a person to control. James, the half-brother of Christ, writes about this in his book, talks about the power of the tongue and how, how it directs the course of a person, whether for good or for evil. Turn with me in James chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, verse 5, likewise the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, clearly, James is talking about the negative side of the tongue, the language, right? 
but the tongue of a person is the, mo is the hardest thing to control. And I think we all can look back in our own lives where we've said things we wish we could take back. Amen? <laughs> it is a tough thing. The tongue, what comes out of a person's life, the tongue often is a barometer of what's inside a person's heart. Luke chapter 4, or I'm, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in the heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The tongue is a good barometer of what's going on inside of me. Talk to me when I'm not in church. Talk to me any day of the week, and if I'm not speaking, well, of what I'm speaking is what's really inside me. Amen? Yeah. It, it, what, what's inside the heart comes out of the mouth eventually. I can fool a few people, but eventually you're going to hear it. Eventually what's, what's really inside of me. So the reason I believe that God has chosen to use language as a proof of the Holy Spirit is because that is a good proof truly of what's inside, what's inside the heart of a man. As a person is immersed or baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit fills the person, or, or better understanding, he totally immerses the person with the power of the Holy Spirit until he becomes so full that it flows out of the mouth, that it just flows out of him like rivers that flow out of the belly. The Holy Spirit's language, just as the passage in Luke refers to, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. When, I, when the Holy Spirit fills me up so much, what comes out of me is now a, a, a benefit or a result of that filling of the Holy Spirit. And I, the reason I want to make such a big point about that is because as we come to that realization that it, it maybe takes the argument or the pushback in my flesh or maybe your flesh that it's some man's idea that it's their way to put some boundaries on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, like you have to speak in tongues to be part of the club, to be into the end group. And I just want to tell you right now, that's nonsense. It's not man's idea. We don't have to submit to a goofy idea that man comes to, be, comes to the table with on this one because this is God's idea. This is God's plan. This is God's designed plan so that we would surrender the tongue being the smallest yet most unruly part of the body, that we would be obedient to the instruction of Jesus to wait on and to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, that we would be submitted then to the Holy Spirit, and finally then that we would be so full of the Spirit that's in my heart that it just flows out of my mouth and I flows out in a new language, in a new experience. It's God's plan. It's the way He designed it. Now, this is just the initial evidence. There's so much more to the Holy Spirit than this. I want you to know that. This is not the end all. This is not to say you've arrived, and this does not make you a more spiritual person than anybody else. This is just the initial experience, meaning it's only the beginning of a life filled with the purpose and the power of the Holy Spirit. There's so much more. And when I see it this way, when I can see that it's God's plan, when it's God's strategy, when it's God's purpose, then it helps take away my fears and some of the questions 
they seem to fade away because now I can see that it's all about my obedience and it's all about my submission to my Heavenly Father's plan that I'm not in a position to argue or resist any longer. Because if I'm truly saying, Father, I want you to have all of me, when I go to him and I submit to his plan to have all of me, now I don't resist him anymore. I don't come and say, well, God, you're gonna, you can have all of me as long as it looks this way. Now I'm putting boundaries on God again. And God doesn't work under my boundaries. He doesn't work under my plan. It's his plan. Let's go back to the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, let's read more. Beginning at verse 5 through 12. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phaergra and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. There was about 12 to 14, if you count them, I think there's 14 different languages that were present in the day of Jerusalem that day. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? <laughs> That question right there gave Peter the opportunity to give the gospel message. Peter then went, if you read the rest of that, he went into a long message, and at the end of the message, about 3,000 people accepted Christ as their Savior and were baptized and were added to the church that day. So what does that mean for you and I today? That was what it meant then. What does it mean today? Well, we have the same opportunity they did to be saved and baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to keep this as simple as we possibly can today. I don't want to confuse this. I don't want to make this more complicated than what it is. Understand that we have the devil, our adversary, our foe, and he will do everything he can to bring as much confusion into what this means. He will do everything he can to confuse people and what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Simply stated, what this means to the devil is his utter and certain defeat in destroying your life. And what I mean by that is that Satan has already been defeated. On the macro level, on the big world level, he's already been defeated by Jesus on the cross. We know that, right? The devil is doomed. He's, he's going to be spending eternity in hell. He's already doomed. We know that. That's on the macro level. But we need to talk about the micro level. The micro level is you and me today. Yes, the devil has been defeated macroly. But microly, he hasn't been because he could still destroy me. I have to take responsibility for my life so that the devil doesn't defeat me. Amen? So you and I are in a battle today. Yes, he is lost. On the macro level, the devil's lost. But on the personal level, there's a real battle going on for my life and for your life today. And if I'm not engaged in that battle... I could lose it, and you could lose it. Even though the devil's already lost, he can win in me, and he can win in you. So he does not want us to talk about the thing that destroyed him. 
that person was the Holy Spirit is what destroyed the macro level effect of the devil. But on a microscopic level, on a micro level, he's very real and he's very able to destroy me and you personally. That is why he hates it when we talk about the Holy Spirit. The devil doesn't mind you coming to church. In fact, the devil comes to church. The devil doesn't mind us reading the Bible because the devil reads the Bible. The devil's very much aware of what the Bible says. He used it against Christ. He tried to. But the Holy Spirit in Christ rose up and said, No, I'm not going to allow you to defeat me personally. It's the Holy Spirit that rose up in Christ, not the Bible. Understand it. We have to use it. We have to apply it. It's not enough just to hold the Bible up to the devil and say, it's in here, if it's not in here. It's got to get inside of me if the Bible is going to be effective to the devil. Because he understands the Bible. He read it. So that's why we have to ask the Holy Spirit to come in and to baptize me and immerse me and to take all there is of me. And I need to be willing to give all there is of me to him so that I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can defeat Satan. As he's been defeated macroly, he can be defeated microly when I ask the Holy Spirit to do the work. But I can't do it without him. The Holy Spirit is the active agent on, of God on earth, on earth, and he always will be until Jesus, Jesus comes back. He has a very active role in the life of the believers, providing us numerous spiritual gifts as we're obedient and submitted to him. These gifts are designed to empower the believer to glorify Christ and to win as many lost people to Jesus as possible. A few minutes ago, Greg said that the Holy Spirit wants to use us. Yes, he does. He wants to use us to bring others to Jesus. God wants me to expand. He wants me to replicate myself into other people. He wants me to be a witness. That's the power. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, so we can be witnesses, that we can have a boldness within us to witness to others, that we can save others from the same disaster that we were saved from, called death and destruction and hell. It says the Holy Spirit takes residence in me. Verse 11, we go back to that. Verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Wow. You know, it's an amazing thing to think that 120 people spoke 14 or so different languages without knowing they were speaking them and somebody else understood them. That's a miracle. It's a miracle to think that. And don't think that when God gives me a gift of tongues, that it's not just as much of a miracle that I speak in tongues that I don't know, but yet God understands. And we're going to talk about this next week and the further weeks ahead, about why speaking in tongues is so important on a daily basis in the life of a believer. It's so much more than just saying it's the initial evidence. Yes, it is the initial evidence, but it's so much more than that. As Paul said, I would have you all speak in tongues. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Why? 
Because there's a benefit there. There's a purpose in that. There's a power in that. Now, does that mean that people that speak in tongues today can speak in other known languages? Yeah, they can. It's been documented that people have uh, spoken other languages for specific occasions. In fact, let me just tell you something, just so you know that people can be kind of silly. Um, when the Azuzu Street Revival started off and the Pentecost was poured out back in the early 1900s again, that was really when the beginning of the Assemblies of God Church started off. And they started off with a real, a real bent towards missions. And they had this thought that, wow, if the Holy Spirit will allow us to speak in other tongues as other people can understand, then when I go to the mission field, I'm going to be able to speak in all these tongues that I don't know without being taught. And you know that that didn't work? Yeah, that's not necessarily what it's for. They had to go back and learn the languages to go into Africa or India or China or wherever the missions go. They can't just depend on the Holy Spirit to give them the language supernaturally. But at the same time, it, it has happened. For specific occasions. Now, the purpose of the heavenly language that we get when we speak in tongues, that's for a different purpose. When I speak a heavenly language only God understands, the Holy Spirit now prays through my spirit, and he prays a perfect prayer according to the will of God, according to God, God's word, through me in a language that the devil doesn't know. It's a heavenly language, and it is, it is a warfare. It's a language of warfare. Because now God can do some things in my life that I couldn't do on my own. Because I'm not speaking it on my own. The Holy Spirit is speaking through me. So we're going to talk about that more later. But the Holy Spirit's purpose of baptizing us with a new heavenly prayer language is that it's a language of heaven and it is a unique prayer language that vitalizes the person's personal prayer life. It takes that macro, that micro perspective, and it is the thing that keeps me on fire. It keeps me trained. It keeps me purposed so that I can defeat the enemy in my life and that I know, I know, I know, I know, I know by the faithfulness of God that I'm okay, and I know that he's going to get me through. We're going to have communion in a little bit this morning, and we're going to uh, invite you to come in and... Uh, Invite the presence of the Lord in your life today. We want to continue to um, personally ask ourselves the questions. What am I seeking? Who am I seeking? Am I truly giving my heart totally to Christ or not? Or am I doing so with boundaries and limitations? Jackie, if you'd come. But as we prepare this morning, I want to just ask some questions to us. And that is, are we eagerly seeking all that God has for us? Are we truly eagerly seeking all that God has for us? Or are we basically saying, God, thanks for saving me. Now I've got it from here. I'm good. I can handle it from here. Don't give me any more. I'm not interested in any more. I'm not interested in anything else. I'm good, God. I've got, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. And I, I would just say this morning that if that is your life, my concern is that you're limiting God in your life. You're limiting the power of the Holy Spirit moving in your life. I would rather have us pray this morning as we talked already that I would rather have us evaluate our lives and ask the tough personal questions of our lives and say, what is my desire for more? 
Am I desiring the Holy Spirit more than other things of this life? Or are there the temporary things that I desire more? What truly am I, am I seeking in my life? Am I content in the little that I have, meaning that I don't care? I don't care how old I am in the Lord or how, many, or how long I've been in church, but I truly am seeking all that God has for me. Or am I contented with that little bit that I have? This morning, I would just invite us all this morning to do that evaluation in our hearts and our lives and just ask the Lord to help us understand what it is we need. And, uh, and, and I will just go on record to say that when you allow the Holy Spirit access to your life, He's a gentleman. He doesn't come in. He doesn't push. He doesn't pull. But He will convict. He will come in and point some things out in your life that maybe need to be fixed. But that's your job to fix them through His power. So this morning as we go to the table of communion and fellowship, I would just ask us all to just close our eyes and let's just ask the Lord to do a little work. Let's evaluate our hearts and lives for a moment. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, would you have your way this morning? Holy Spirit, would you be so evident in our lives this morning that your conviction power would be strong in the lives of your people? And Lord, even though we're saved and on the way to heaven, there's things in our life that we need to tweak and we need to take care of. And I pray, God, that you would just send your convicting power in our hearts and lives to tweak us and make sure that we're on the right road this morning. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. You're welcome in our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name.